Hello guys, it's the Not The Top 20 podcast. George Ellick to my right, I am Ali Maxwell and this week we are, well I was going to say doing something a little different but actually a sort of Q&A style podcast is something that we've done over the years a fair amount but we haven't done one for a while and we just thought that uh, while we will touch on the major results from each division uh, from last weekend, I think there are still some some really good general questions that it's good for us to get through. You guys sent them in in their droves on Twitter today. Really, really appreciate that, and some some really thoughtful ones too. So um, we can't get to them all, unfortunately. George, is that, is that for, thoughtful like for us, or just or just they've, they've thought hard about the questions? Yeah, thought hard about the questions because they're not just like who's going to win the league, yeah. or it's you know you, you'll see. George, there no, no, mate, I've looked ones. through them. You know, I've done my research, as you well know. Some very thoughtful ones, but um, uh, yes, we're going to get through as many as we can. Uh, George has got some Kievs on the menu tonight. Just, I think um, I'm very jealous. Just a chicken Caesar for me, trying to stay, trying to stay healthy at, to start the week at least. But we know how it'll end up ultimately. Um, we will start uh, with a, a bit of chat about last week, George, specifically last Thursday. It was a very big day for us and it was a long day for us and that is not to complain because we had a a fantastic day and our first sort of double bubble at Sky Sports. Between one and five, we made our Sky Sports News debut. I think we did five or six hits on their deadline day coverage and then EFL Matters at 7pm. Did you feel quite quite loose on EFL Matters do you think the, the stint on Sky Sports News how do you think that one went for I thought, us I thought it was going to I think it was probably our um, you know our worst performance I reckon on EFL really? Matters possibly well I'd certainly mine maybe um, because of the you know it was a long old day um, I, I, I thought I might be loose and it turned out I was quite the opposite I um, f- uh, got J- Jamal Lowe and Jamal Lewis mixed up won't be the first person to do that um, but uh, no it was a great day and obviously we hope for many many more um, just like that it was really cool to see behind the scenes at, at Sky Sports News wasn't it and like you just don't really think about it when you watch it but their use of space is quite impressive it's, it's actually not this massive studio it's basically in and around the offices um, and 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 in, in various different parts of the offices they've got these screens some big some small and they're able to do quite a lot with it so we did a bit in front of the small screen and a lot in front of that massive screen but interestingly for those who did see our final segment which we actually tweeted out um on the five our five best deals in the efl um, what you may not know is that Ali was meant to use that screen as a touchpad um, and just totally bottled it. When Completely it came, bottled it. And it came to the lives. He, <laughs> you were meant to be touching the players, seeing, uh, seeing, the players. seeing some details about their moves. And nope, he just decided, actually, uh, you know what, I'm not going to be uh, fighting with a, with a touchpad. I'm just going to stand here and look pretty. I've no doubt. And I hope in many ways that uh, throughout our uh, future of Not The Top 20 pod and hopefully more and more TV stuff in the coming years, I've no doubt there'll be something that will go viral, something stupid that I do or say uh, and I didn't want it to be on deadline day on our Sky Sports News debut um, but yes no you're right we, we, we did a lot of talking and some of it was good but you do focus on the bad stuff don't you I was particularly disappointed uh, by not being able to get out the words defensive depth at one point when talking about Villa uh, it was just at the end of what I thought had been quite a, a, a long flowing move and I said and they should be sorted now for da 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 defensive depth furious (laughs) furious Um, but thank you for all of you who who sent such nice tweets um, who said well done and who have supported us uh, um, as well because that was very fun and we hope 
now that uh, there might be potential to do more stuff like that uh, in the future. Uh, the championship was pretty good this weekend. There was really, I think, two major headline results. Uh, George, starting at the top, the game that we previewed on EFL Matters, that we previewed on the uh, betting show. And we had a few messages from Norwich fans before the match even started saying, um, a lot of places seem to think this is a foregone conclusion and that, and that Leeds will assert their dominance. So thank you for at least being quite balanced and showing how Norwich can threaten. Well, they did much more than that. Was that the, the best performance you've seen this season? It was very good. Um, I mean, the, the impressive thing for me, it sounds quite strange when a team scored three goals, um, but I thought the way that they saw the game out was was really impressive. Um, obviously, they lost that clean sheet late on, um, but in real, you know, realistically, they may as well have, have kept one. They kept Leeds at arm's length for, for most of the second half. Um, you know, The one thing we got wrong on the betting show was saying that we thought that Norwich would have a fair bit of possession, but obviously when you go 2-0 up quite early on, then it's natural to sit back and soak. So... Um, but for all of Leeds' possession, they were, they were fairly toothless. And I, as, as a neutral watching, never felt, um, from the moment Vrancic's uh, free kick was deflected in, I never felt concerned for them that they were going to lose that lead. Um, so a really, really impressive performance, a massive turnaround from the from the reverse fixture back in, in September where it was basically roles reversed. Uh, Leeds went to Carrow Road and did an absolute job on them. And we're just seeing how quickly this Norwich team is improving. Uh, and it's unbelievably exciting to see now top of the league. So huge uh, you know huge hand to them this Norwich team and how it's been put together over the last 18 months or so one of the the greatest feats of recruitment that we've seen uh, in the EFL since we've been covering it closely um, when you look at, at that midfield Vrancic and Tribal uh, as the sort of pivot and then Onel Hernandez Marco Stieperman and Buendia behind Puki. Everything complements each other. These are players who are all so comfortable on the ball. They seem to, um, they seem to deal with a press and a pressure better than any other teams I've seen uh, in the second tier in the sense that Leeds did press them well. But they always seem to have that split second longer on the ball and they seem much more assured in their decision making. And, you know, we spoke about it when they kept scoring such late goals to win games or get equalisers that there was clear belief that they, that they knew what they had to do and they knew that their way of playing was, was going to be effective. And now they're doing it um, from the start of games as well. And it, it's just a fantastic result for Norwich. They've gone top of the league, of course, uh, two, well, two goals more, essentially. Their goal difference is 18 and Leeds is, is 16. Sheffield United, three points back on 54. They had a pretty straightforward win uh, this weekend as well. From a Leeds point of view, how concerned are you? That's now four league defeats in their last five, is it? Or four in their last six? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, four in their last six, that is. Um, so how, how worried are you? Not too worried, I don't think. I mean, teams are going to go on, on difficult runs. Um, that 2-0 win against Derby in the middle of that run um, was as dominant really as we've seen from them this season against a team who are going to be fighting for the playoffs. Um, they came up against a very, very good team in Norwich and I think the first goal was, was so important there where as soon as they went behind, it was going to be tricky to come back, especially given how well Norwich managed the game. Um, so, you know, you have to be uh, concerned about about the, the run of form you've mentioned and just the two wins in six. But at the same time, you know, that there's no question in my mind that they're they're going to maintain a level of form that keeps them up towards the top end of the table. Um, a huge game coming up on Saturday where Middlesbrough, uh, Middlesbrough's home form really, really poor. So that may be not quite as tricky as it looks on paper. Um, and then some very winnable games coming up, coming up after that. So, 
yeah, it's not ideal. I'm not. I'm. You know, you can't sugarcoat it too much. But but you don't also don't want to have a knee jerk reaction. Um, they've just come off the top of the table for the first time in a long time, and. Uh, I mean, you, you can't rule them out getting back there pretty soon. It feels like now and at different parts of the season, um, different sets of fans lay claim to being underrepresented or maybe underappreciated. It seems to me maybe that Sheffield United is that team currently because they are in third. They're only three points back and we know how quickly a three-point lead can evaporate. So what about Sheffield United? A, a very standard, simple win uh, this weekend against Bolton 2-0. Um, they had drawn away at Norwich previously and lost a- away at Swansea before that uh, was four wins. So their form is, is pretty good, really, but they've got a tough run of games coming up. Villa away, Borough at home, Reading at home, but then West Brom away and Chef Wed away. Well, it's also interesting to hear Chris Wilder saying about that performance uh, against Bolton that he was really disappointed with the first half and, and didn't think they showed up at all. Um, and that is, you know... Uh, the same thing goes for what I said about Leeds. It's, I, I can't. I think they're too good and they've got too much quality to see them really fall away. So you can't get too concerned about this run of form. But there wasn't, despite getting the win over a very poor Bolton team, there wasn't too much positive to take out of it. Um, obviously, McGoldrick and, and Sharp linking up well again was, was a, a good thing. Um, but that 2-0 win is, is really the bare minimum. Um, but it's going to be a hell of a game on Friday night. A, a good time to play Villa, who are really struggling now. Um, Dean Smith's honeymoon period definitely over um, and then straight after that a home game against Middlesbrough so it, I, it's a Friday Wednesday fixture uh, I think after those two games we're going to know a lot more about, about the Sheffield United team but Chris Wilder will definitely be hoping that they can put in a better performance to, to Saturdays and then also for the Swansea and the Norwich game probably What about West Brom 2 Middlesbrough 3 uh, an absolutely bizarre game this one really um, and certainly both in the style in which the game was played and in the, the result. Uh, I think something, well, a game that took everyone by surprise. Nathan uh, tweeted us about this one, a game that nobody expected to have so many goals. Borough capitalised on West Brom's mistakes and made them pay, taking three points and moving level in the table with them. Asombolonga bagged a brace and other plaudits to George Savile and Darren Randolph. Um, Randolph has been consistently mentioned by the people that went to this one. Fuzzy Dunlop uh, said he is the best keeper in the division for my money. Two great finishes from Asombolonga. It seems like this one was quite a tight game and it was about executing and um, West Brom we have felt all season have been sometimes getting quite lucky in some of their results and and riding the finishing ability of Dwight Gale and and Mr Rodriguez but after so much excitement um, from a baggies point of view George after a deadline day saw them sign Jefferson Montero Jacob Murphy and Stefan Johansson on loan uh, this is a reminder that you know it's not quite as easy as just getting the signings in and you'll get instantly better. Their, their frailties exposed by Borough, who can be pretty smug heading back up with three points. I'm sure Tony Pulis would have enjoyed that one. Yeah, definitely. It's another game that we've seen West Brom lose despite, uh, well, when they dominate possession, it seems to be a, a, a real thing for them this season. Games where they're on the front foot and have the ball a lot, they seem to struggle. Uh, whereas it's games where they can counter-attack, where they seem to be at their best. Uh, I mean, it's another occasion for me where you're looking at the, the top teams in this division you're looking at Marcelo Bielsa you're looking at Daniel Farker you're looking at Chris Wilder even Tony Pulis and I think these guys just have the edge over Darren Moore uh, despite West Brom's obvious quality in terms of playing playing staff uh, to not see out a game um, when you're 2-1 up with 25 minutes to go or 15 minutes to go I should say at home um, just smacks of a again of a manager who's who's not quite 
you know, I'm sure he will get there and it's, not, it's probably no fault of his own, but he doesn't have the experience that these other guys have in terms of seeing out games and, and how to manage them. And this isn't the first game that West Brom have played this season, which we've seen it, that's been completely balmy, um, but some of them they've come out on the right side of. Um, and this one's one where they didn't. So Asombolonga and Randolph, seemingly the difference. Uh, Asombolonga with two fantastic finishes off the bench, very clinical, um, and Randolph keeping them in it for long swath. So it's it's a you know, it's a knife edge game. It's a game that could easily have uh, have landed uh, in West Brom's lap, um, but instead they've ended up with with, with no points. And you just feel like maybe um, uh, under the guidance of someone else in the dugout, they could have seen it out. That it sounds harsh on Moore, who's obviously learning his trade, and he's done a very very good job there so far. But there's no denying the fact that compared to some of the other guys he's coming up against, he doesn't have those games under his belt or the experience. Um, as a manager to, to get teams through that. Yeah, someone doing perfectly well at masterminding victories is Lee Johnson at the moment. Uh, his Bristol City side, they're unbeaten in 12 league games. They've won their last five and in that time they've conceded just one goal in those last five games and that was against Bolton of all teams. That's wins to nil in that time against Rotherham, Stoke, Nottingham Forest and on the weekend Swansea were done 2-0 at Ashton Gate. A lively atmosphere that one for sure but um, as Slabhead said uh, when, Max. He, when he tweeted us about this uh, Swansea passed you to death but only created half chances could have been 4-0 um, if Taylor and O'Dowd had taken their chances towards the end uh, Webster De Silva and O'Dowd are the standouts uh, Sean was also there said that the system didn't work for Swansea needed width missed James and Montero that's um, pretty you know pretty straightforward stuff and something that you, you can kind of understand and um, uh, another transfer window where it seems like the um, objective of the those running the club was to weaken the team rather than strengthen the team uh, and you do wonder how much longer Graham Potter will put up with that because uh, it's it's really difficult to watch from a neutral's point of view because there, there have been so many times we've watched Swansea and really enjoyed them this season um, but him being undermined like that uh, and not having James available especially because his head is all over the place after what happened on deadline day not ideal so from a, a Swansea point of view um, you know we'll, we'll leave that one behind and I think from now on to the end of the season we will still see games where they play brilliantly and win 3-0 3-1 but these are the sorts of games where they are still having lots of the ball but not quite penetrative enough and not not enough consistency. 101 passes attempted by Matt Grimes, which you don't wow. see very often in the championship, no. the old three-figure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, that plays into what uh, what we were told on Twitter about um, you know passing you to death oh. without without creating much. Yeah, but we're meant to be uh, giving Bristol City props. Yes. That's my fault for going off piece there. Uh, needed to get some Swansea chat off my chest. Bristol City are now in the playoffs. They are sixth. They've t gone above Derby, who could only draw with Preston on Friday night, and it sounded like a, a poor performance from Derby, a worrying trend for them over the last six weeks or so. Bristol City, on the other hand, just seemed to be, if anything, getting stronger each time, and, and I know I, I seem to bang on about it quite a lot, but this is something I do think has gone under the radar. Their defence, comfortably the second best in the league now, um, second got fewest goals conceded that there's still seven more than Borough of course on 22 but just 29 from 29 games uh, the next best is Sheffield United with 31 Leeds with 34 so five goals conceded fewer than Leeds at Bristol City and it's Webster who we just get told about all the time now uh, one of the best pieces of transfer business of the summer Aidan Flint out Adam Webster in for significantly less money uh, a sensational bit of recruitment and we're going to talk about recruitment in a second 
Um, but I just wanted to say, and George, you can back me up here, Bristol City looking really, really tidy, um, you know, on the same points as Derby now. But if you had to pick them, I would certainly pick Bristol City for that sixth spot. Definitely. I'm concerned about Derby. Um, again, on Friday night, they were the, <clears throat> they were the weaker team against um, against Preston. They, they hit the woodwork twice through that just extraordinary foot of Harry Wilson, which I just don't <laughs> understand. One sensational foot. Just hit, I mean, the way he strikes the ball is, is it's basically like nothing about thing I've ever seen before. I mean, he is, it's very exciting to see, but as we always say on here, you cannot rely on that. And, and it does feel like every game, they are just so reliant on Wilson creating some magic from, from distance. Preston carved them open many, many times and couldn't get that goal. So I think you have to be a little bit concerned about Derby at the moment. Um, I think that was probably a good point, which I'm sure some of their fans will, will, will maybe have disagreed before the game. Um, whereas Bristol City are doing very, very well, but we always talk about the characteristics of managers and, and certainly with, with Lee Johnson, you have a guy who's prone to these runs. So if experience tells us anything, it's probably to take this Bristol City run as, as evidence that it's, it's not going to continue for too long. If you're thinking about getting involved and, and backing Bristol City for promotions and th- things like this on the back of this run, just be aware that <laughs> beware and be aware that, that often these are followed up by six or seven defeats on the spin. Um, but that's for whatever reason, that's the way um, he manages. And, and right now he's getting everything right. Yeah, they've got Blackburn away next up. Tough game. And then QPR and Birmingham at home uh, in mid-February. Then away at Norwich and Preston before a home game to lead. So over the next six games, um, you know, you'd certainly say four games where they'll probably be happy to, to get a, you know, probably happy to get a point. Um, maybe that's not how they're thinking at the moment, but certainly um, really, really impressive last, well, last three months really from Bristol City. Um, the other winners in the championship that we're not going to give uh, as much credit to as fans would want, but that is the way of it. Wigan beat QPR, another home win for Wigan. QPR really sliding down the table uh, from whence they came. They're in 14th now. Um, Sheffield United, we mentioned, very routine at home to Bolton, as you'd expect. And Ipswich lost again, uh, this time to Sheffield Wednesday. Last minute winner from Lucas Schwau. They're in 16th Sheffield Wednesday. Good start for Steve Bruce there. And some positive signs as well. They're, they've carried on the good form uh, from the period of time where um, Lee Bullen and then Steve Agnew were in caretaker charge. Another impressive win for Hull. Back on the winning trail against Stoke. Seemed very good for that. Stoke missing another penalty. Uh, not sure of the exact number, but it's something like eight of their last 10 or nine of their last 11, which is completely ridiculous. Birmingham beat Forest 2-0. Um, really, really good performance from Birmingham. Hotter, especially Forest, not starting particularly well under Martin O'Neill. Uh, it's very early days, of course. And a sparkling performance from Brentford. Uh, George beating Blackburn 5-2, having been 2-0 down after 10 minutes. Uh, some of those goals that Brentford scored, um, really tasty. I mean, we're... We are a sucker for for nice football. It's fair to say. Uh, who isn't? And and I know you know probably people roll their eyes, but that was really nice. It's Watkins, just... Ben Rama, Mopai, Sawyers. Yes, oh, I just didn't think that Brentford could get any more Brentford, and they're just now <laughs> having the most Brentford season to date. Um, just coming out of the blocks like absolute wildfire, going into favourites for uh, for promotion yeah. to win the league. They were favourites for a time, then a ridiculous collapse under some pressure. And now just easing their way out of the relegation zone, no danger of really challenging the playoffs. I'm sure they'll continue just to, to you know, wallop teams uh, from now until the end of the season. If there is somehow becomes a sniff of the playoffs, I'm sure they'll start to, to lose games again. It's, it's unbelievable, but you have to give them huge credit. 
I mean, what, what I find distressing and, and sad is that this iteration of, of, of Brentford probably isn't going to continue past the end of the season. I just can't really see the feasible way that, that Morpé, Benrahma, Watkins are all going to be there next season. Um, you know, they've already lost Mepham in January and it'll be another rebuilding process where these guys will come in, he'll be very talented and, and they'll make money from the sales. But I just watching... You sound a bit tired of the system, of the no, process. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in no way... T- it's the best way of doing things. It's just, it's, it feels like this squad is the work of, of four or five years of, of recycling um, playing stuff and, 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 and bringing in better players. And, and this is the squad that should have taken them to the next level. And you, you watch them you know, put five past that, the Blackburn, uh, Blackburn and, and score amazing goals. You know, Canios' goal, it may have been against Barnet, but that was just absolutely wonderful to yeah. see that, you know, that quick counter-attacking, slick football, fantastic finish. So it's, it's just, I mean, I can't really imagine how Brentford fans feel, given how much it's frustrating me, but eventually it's going to work out over the course of a season. Um, but it's just tough to, there's no way that group of players... Um, so astutely assembled should be should be languishing where they are, but but there there they are below you know Sheffield Wednesday. So what, you know what can you say? Yeah, uh, Peter asked us any wild card picks to reach the playoffs in any of the three divisions. So we'll, we'll look at the championship now, uh, and I bring it up at this stage because Tom, a bees fan, uh, did mention Brentford as uh, should I start getting uh, in any way excited about a, a Brentford playoff push I mean that would be really something at this stage not only are they 10 points off uh, but there are 10 teams in between them and the playoffs so they wouldn't just have you know it's not just the points gap but also the the, the congestion and they've got a game in hand on some as well which yeah. helps but it, it's it's okay it's, it's, it's an unlikely possibility isn't it really I mean as I said I, I reckon they'll finish top half comfortably um, and I reckon they will be Right now isn't the time where you'll be able to get the most excited. There'll be there'll be definitely be times where you and I are sitting here being like, oh, "Are they going to do it? Are they going to do it?" And then, you know, who knows? I, I, you have to worry about the about the mental capacity of, of, of this squad after what happened. I mean, they got a bit dizzy um, last time at the top. Maybe that experience will serve them well. Thomas Frank is, is really, you know, with, with his back to the wall. The, the tactical switch and the to the three at the back and the uh, the way he's he shored up that defence um, or at least looked like he had before the Barnet and the uh, and the and the Blackburn games um, is impressive. So it's I mean, crazy, isn't it? Dare to dream, I guess. That there were those wondering whether he he might need to leave after around five or six games um, at a, a time where there was an awful lot of turmoil and and a very traumatic time with the death of Rob Rob Rowan. Um, who was such a big part of the club as well. So uh, if Thomas Frank certainly proving any of those doubters wrong, uh, he has gone above and beyond to make this team uh, very, very good again um, in, in mid-season, which is not always easy, of course. Um, so I guess any wildcard picks, George? I, I suppose wildcard at this stage, because there is a bit of a gap between those in the playoffs and those chasing. Um, I, I will allow you to have anyone from Birmingham downwards. So Birmingham, Aston Villa, Hull... Blackburn, Forest, Swansea, QPR, Stoke, Sheffield, Wednesday, Brentford. I'll stop at Preston in 18th. I mean, I should say, we, we get asked a lot of stuff like this and we do sometimes build our own narratives like who could fire their way in because it, it seems like a, a, a quite an, a fun topic. But I should say you do reserve the right to say no one because it's more likely yeah. that they won't make it in. I, 
well, can I say, I think probably someone will get involved. I don't know. Who. Right. <laughs> because I, I'm, I wouldn't really be particularly convinced of, of Bristol City or Derby staying power. So that does open up the the, the table markedly. I, I do think Bristol City are currently the best of the rest. Birmingham, um, Villa, Hull and Blackburn, not, four points below Bristol City. Yeah, I don't think I'm having, I'm not having Birmingham currently. Um, I don't think you can necessarily have any of these teams like well, with, with, th- with any sort of confidence. I think, I think Villa are the obvious ones who, despite playing poorly at the moment, could easily go on a run of, of wins that would take them But Hull are playing way. way better than Villa. Hull, Hull are playing well, yeah, but you've got to also look at the you know, the, the talent on disposal, like the ceiling, the performance levels that are possible. I mean, Aston Villa, if Greenwich comes back fully firing and fit um, and Abraham continues his scoring form then there's no reason why they can't leave this run of form behind and be very very good Hull are currently playing probably better than any of us thought was imaginable so for them to continue that level of form up to the end of the season to me feels fairly unlikely same with Blues maybe same with Birmingham well yeah I mean the the shot data for Birmingham recently has been troubling so that that is enough to put me off Um, and again Shea Adams what a player but uh, he, he's not going to continue doing what he's doing at the moment for the rest of the season. He's never really done, done it before and he's right now in the midst or probably coming towards the end of a purple patch. Uh, Blackburn's home form was very good, but again, I, I can't really see them pushing that far up. Huge issues uh, with, for me with Nottingham Forest. Um, I, I think that the performance performances haven't really improved under O'Neill straight away and, and the recruitment um, you know, grabbing didn't start on Saturday, which I, we, you and I have been saying since the beginning of the season that the whole the need at Forest is to provide support for those key players and, and not replace them. Um, so, I mean, the two teams I would say who I, I reckon will, will, will have a good start, have good finishes to the campaign are Brentford and Preston, who I think are both in the top 10 best teams in the, in the division, but I think they're both too far off the pace to really get involved. But I'm sure, I mean, if I was looking at this in a, you know, with a betting hat on, um, they're the two teams I'd want to have on side in terms of their performance from now to the end of the season. Very good betting show week we had, by the way. Really, really good. Much needed, but yeah, uh, yeah some good, some good results which we'll get into uh, later on this week. Um, some good winners we had, both of us there. Um, sort of similar theme, I guess. And and with your answer just then, I think uh, it kind of leads on to this question, and and I can guess who you're going to say, but. Dan said, which current mid-pack championship clubs do you think are getting themselves in order to be in the mix for promotion next season? I mean, we tipped Brentford and Preston to do very well this season because we thought they were getting themselves in order <laughs> yeah. to, be, uh, to be promotion candidates. Um, and now you're kind of looking at me and saying you think these two teams are in the top ten. Obviously, in terms of being able to keep their players, you've expressed your concern with regards to Brentford uh, I suppose you've got to feel similar about Preston because they are vulnerable to losing their players for, for a price, of course. Um, anyone yeah. else who you're like, I really want to see what the anti-post price is as soon as the season finishes? I mean, I'd have to see a lot more, but but I mean, Stoke under Nathan Jones have made a pretty poor start and I'm starting to be a bit concerned we're not even going to get to see uh, what, what Nathan Jones is Stoke <laughs> going to be like next season. But he is someone who... No, don't be silly. There's, I have enough. He'll, he'll be there. Yeah, this is, well, I feel, feel like it's hecking bottom at Leeds all over again. Um, but we, he's someone who I'll, who I'll, you know, I'd basically follow off a cliff and if he gets his way over the next six months, I'll be, um, interested in, in their price next season. Um, I think Swansea under Graham Potter, another one, he's obviously learning very quickly and, and has a talented squad of players, um, that he is putting his mark on as well. So, um, a, a continuation of them to be, to be effective, um, is, is enough for me to be interested in, and, and Villa, the third one, um, where, uh, Dean Smith as well having a very difficult time at the moment but you do feel like he's trying to um, impart his authority there so they're not necessarily teams 
doing all that well at the moment <laughs> ridiculously yeah but um but there are a couple of teams in there who who i think um given the budgets and the and the people in charge um you know mike holden um friend and and, and former guest and future guest i'm sure <laughs> of the podcast definitely has uh, has always spoken about following managers rather than following clubs and um and yeah i mean jones is, is the one who you know you, you feel like he's almost at the moment managing two clubs you know Luton are, are basically in in autopilot with him just clicking it into gear and then yeah. leaving leaving the cockpit and uh, and they're sailing <laughs> really good aviation reference that yeah thanks and they're <laughs> and, and they're top of the league under because of the the foundations that he lay so yeah Stoke are the, probably the ones I'm going to be keeping a, a proper eye on you know when there's like a really confident friendly pilot and they let the kids go into mm. the cockpit during the flight because they're that confident that they're on a, think, a steady and even keel think, that's what Harford's doing Oh, that's what half is doing. I thought I thought he was saying Nathan. I think I think Nathan Jones would scare the, uh, the children. <laughs> came in Nathan glare, Jones but... scares kids. Well done. That's the headline from the podcast so far. <laughs> um, uh, this kind of leads on to something. Um, uh, an interesting thing that Tim tweeted in. Now this is one of those ones, and and generally I think we are proud of of uh, always being very very well researched. This is the sort of question that does need uh, a bit of thinking time. So I guess just initial thoughts from both of us here. He says, "What's the reason that big spending clubs aren't doing well?" On on the whole in the championship does having a bigger budget lead to less inspired recruitment and if you look at the table uh, George obviously the top three Norwich Leeds and Sheffield United they've put together those teams without the benefit of parachute payments Norwich have brought in a lot of money through player sales but most of that's been uh, helping them sort of deal with the offset of losing their parachute payments and then teams that have been put together expensively Middlesbrough um, Aston Villa of course Stoke um, really not doing particularly well at all. So it, it is quite an interesting question. It is having a bigger budget. Why is that leading to less inspired recruitment? I think naturally over time, um, budgets, you know, are similarly, similarly to how we use XG tables. If you, if, you, if you do a budget table, it's not going to be too far off at the end of a season. But So I'd say to have a big... I'm, yeah, but in the championship, I'm just not sure that's true. I, I Most say, divisions, I would agree with you. I would say to have, a, to have a big budget in the championship is still of a massive advantage. The, issue, the thing here, and if you look at the championship table at the moment, is the people who are spending their money wisely, as is the case in all of football, are the ones who are doing the best. And the reason for that is that they've got people in charge who understand what they're doing. Mm. And that might sound um, obvious, but if you look at you know Stuart Weber at, Nor- at Norwich, Victor Orter at Leeds, I mean Sheffield United. I, I don't know who's in charge of recruitment there, but they they definitely shop. Chris in a, Wilder, yeah, but, they, but, <laughs> but he shops in a very different way. Yeah, um, Bristol, Br- Br- Bristol City have have Mark Ashton, who's who's leading that side. Of, you know the, the business side of things. Who is very very shrewd at Oxford as well. So I think it, it's 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 having the modern modern way, the modern setup of of not. Um, shopping in the, in the saturated market for players where if you're you know the likes of I think just having to have the discipline can be a good thing like yeah. having to have a wage structure that means you can't pay someone you can't pay one individual player 40 grand let's say whereas there are clubs who can and will do that because they feel like they well because they know they can within their budget but then it, and so they do so even though We've seen multiple times that not be the right way. But then of going last about season, things. I reckon Wolves must have probably had the biggest budget in the league. But they also had people in charge who understand what makes a good footballer, and they luckily for them had like exclusive access to certain. I'm players, not sure they had the helps. biggest budget because they didn't have any parachute payments. But, but they, they were able to uh, manipulate cloud. it. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. And so, whilst I understand what you're saying, I, I still think if you take someone like Weber, um, our, and you and you put him at a Villa, for example. 
or let's say next season, I mean, none of the big clubs are really coming down next season, but say Newcastle came down and, and, you, and you put a guy with his track record in charge of, of footballing affairs, I don't think that the big budget would, would be in any way restrictive. I think it would be um, just make them more dominant. And it, as I say, there are certain managers out there, Chris Wilder being the exception, who think that they know better than, than the people sitting in the boardroom. And I have a feeling those managers will, will probably be after similar types of players, players who probably cost a little bit more than their ability suggests they could because they've probably been around the block for a while and they've probably played in a couple of Premier League teams. Um, but just, yeah, there are, there, are, there are better ways of spending your money. And right now we're seeing complete evidence to that at the top of the championship. The guys who've employed smart people to make those decisions are the ones who are doing very well, plus Chris Wilder. <laughs> yeah, okay, good answer, good answer. Oliver asked, are we beginning to see clubs take advantage of the foreign market more uh, in the EFL? Thinking Norwich, Barnsley and Oldham as examples, quite different types of examples that. I mean, Stuart Webber is, is essentially, if all goes well here, has built two promotion teams without parachute payments, mostly signed from the Zweite Bundesliga, both in an unbelievably short period of time. You know, we say build three to five year plans like Brighton did to get promoted. That's the best way of doing it if you don't have a massive budget, if you don't have parachute payments. Well, he basically did it in 18 months at Huddersfield and might have done it in two years at Norwich. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And it's probably unprecedented as well in terms of, I don't think he'd have expected it. And I don't think people who who try and repeat the trick in the future will, will be able to do so. But it's testament to him. I mean, I'm, as I'm sure people who've listened to the podcast for a while can tell, you know, I'm a big believer um, in employing intelligent people at football clubs to make your football club better. Um, I don't think that's rocket science. And people who understand how to use an Excel yeah, spreadsheet. Well, uh, yeah. And, and also just to, to shop in, in, in un, you know, un, um, markets where, where people haven't really looked before and, and people where there might be value and where the clubs out there may not have as, as much money as clubs over here. So therefore, you know, a, a player who's of similar ability to when he's currently playing in League One, but he's playing in a, a foreign league where the, the club needs the money or the money goes further is going to be cheaper. It, it's it's pretty, and, and these, you know, miss, um, these people, you know, it's, it's slightly the way that football's going at the moment where people don't like the idea of lots of foreign players coming into their club. It's not their innate foreignness that's going to make them not perform well. It's probably a part of their character, which is the same with English players. Or, you know, if you do your research on a foreign player and, he, and he's, the numbers are good and he looks like he's a good footballer and you do your research on his character, him being a foreigner isn't going to matter. But he might not like the cold, remember? Well, that's true. <laughs> but, then, but, but the interesting example of Oldham there... Is, and it reminds me of, of that's a different thing, isn't and, it? And it reminds me of, of Oxford's recruitment. This is a bit agent last year, exactly. And and that I, I think is really dangerous when you're yeah. getting players um, who are being pitched to a club because of an agency rather than because of their ability. If it's the if it's the the player or the agent coming to the club rather than the club going to the player, it just that worries me. We're going to move on to League One now because. We've done enough championship chat, I think it's fair to say. Uh, on the weekend, uh, I would say that the big wins really came at the bottom of the table. Barnsley, Luton and Sunderland uh, all won games that you would expect them to win. Uh, Portsmouth drew a tough home game against Doncaster. Uh, and Charlton lost, obviously, without Lyle Taylor suspended uh, and Carlin Grant having left the club. And, and they were defeated at Fleetwood. 
Um, big wins, though, George, at the bottom of the table. Rochdale, Bristol Rovers, Plymouth Argyle um, continue to muddy the waters, shall we say. Quick update on the League One relegation situation. South End are 12th. They've got 38 points. Uh, Shrewsbury are 23rd. They've got 31 points. So seven points in uh, between those teams and 12 teams uh, inclusive of South End and Shrewsbury. It's complete carnage. Uh, but Rochdale got themselves out of it with a win this weekend. Bristol Rovers as well. Currently in the bottom four. Oxford, Bradford, Shrewsbury and Wimbledon who are nine points adrift now. Complete carnage, mate. Complete yeah. carnage. You were actually looking at this for a piece you wrote for Odds Checker uh, last week. Yep, I, um, I was tipping up Accrington um, for relegation at twenty to one. It's a bit of an outside chance, but you know Accrington have now um, have three games to catch up um, on teams. Uh, some teams in the league they're on twenty eight games. The most played by teams are is thirty one. A few on thirty, um, and they haven't scored since Boxing Day, um, which is pretty. Poor. They haven't obviously won um, since Boxing Day either, given they haven't scored. Tough too. Uh, yeah, which is yeah. difficult. Um, they lost just one of their first 11 games um, this season as well. So you can really see how the, the slide has started and, and how the performances have dipped. Um, they rank uh, second bottom um, for the last four games for XG ratio before last weekend. Um, they ranked third bottom in XG ratio for the, for the eight games before. So it, it, everything points to, to them continuing to fall down the table um, and whilst the, the games in hand are of use if you're not scoring goals and you're not winning games then it's not of much use really because it's hard to pick up points so I, th- I think at 20 to 1 there's some real juice there um, you'll definitely get some bang for your buck Shrewsbury have really slipped into it haven't they in the last few weeks I think even well just before last weekend you could still get about 3 to 1 on them being relegated they're now second bottom um, they've barely scored a goal in open play for the last month or two. Uh, and I know that there's serious concern. Um, we keep getting asked by Mark, who's a Shrewsbury fan, to make him feel better. Uh, but it's quite difficult to do that, um, aside from saying uh, the underlying XG numbers are quite good. But in League One this season, as we know, that's not always uh, meant anything in terms of actual results. Um, Wimbledon's has been pretty good all season. Shrewsbury's pretty good all season. Um, more so than ever if your strikers are fluffing chances at the rate that they are then uh, teams have uh, uh, you know team seasons have swung on their strikers um, Oxford are an example as well really whose underlying performance data pretty good good enough for pretty sort of mid-table um, and, and the Sunderland's. amount of time <laughs> the amount of time you've mentioned strikers <laughs> leads me to think that that's been an issue there um, can any team below Doncaster reach the playoffs says I thought, you were going to say, I thought you were going to say go down. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can all go down. It's not far. Donny are seventh. They are two points below Posh in sixth. Uh, they've got two games in hand. So you would say they're in a strong position to punch their way into the playoffs. Below them, Blackpool are four points behind Donny, therefore six points off the playoffs, a couple of games in hand. Wickham, Fleetwood, Coventry round out the top half of the table. Difficult to feel really strongly about anyone there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the top six will be Luton, Barnsley, Portsmouth, Sunderland, Charlton, Doncaster in some order. Um, and I'd be pretty surprised to see anyone else come into that. They, they seem to me to be six teams that are, that are pretty much a class apart from anyone else. And I think unless Darren Ferguson can turn Peterborough around, um, 
yeah, I mean, the team in sixth is the only team I could see breaking into the top six, basically, um, as far as I'm looking at it at the moment. Um, yeah. Someone... Um, yeah. I was going to say uh, Coventry definitely fit the bill of teams whose season swings on strikers missing chances. I mean, yeah. they're, they are creating about as much as anyone, which seems odd. They don't, they don't, I don't think people think of them as a particularly good attacking team. They've only scored 32 goals in 31 games, but genuinely in terms of chances created, they are very proficient. Um, but they just have this remarkable mental block uh, when it comes to finishing. Saturday was another great example. Uh, they lost. No, they didn't. They drew to Gillingham at home. Um, they made sure that they wasted a good three or four chances um, and, and they did eventually go ahead before conceding late. Could have been two, three, four ahead. Um, if you were to project the question that we had about the championship, about mid-table teams who could be good for something next season, I mean, it is so congested that it's, it's hard to really say, but I would flag up Coventry there. Um, you know, we do say that good numbers can spread across seasons and uh, and don't last forever when you're underperforming them and they don't last forever when you're overperforming them so if i was a coventry fan i would be trying to feel quite positive about next season even though it's a long way off um but yes difficult to think of anyone really uh, who's particularly well suited uh, there's one more league one topic that i have to ask you because uh, quite aside from appearing on uh, the deadline day coverage on sky sports news the best part of deadline day was you upsetting Portsmouth fans with a tweet that, to my eyes, and certainly to yours, obviously, uh, was very, very tongue-in-cheek uh, and did, did not, was not received as such. Pompey fans may be a little touchy after a pretty poor run of form, um, but you were called a virgin, let's put it that way, before 10 a.m. Uh, that, was, that was what it was like, uh, and, and, and a couple of other things as well. But it was an interesting uh, feature of deadline day, wasn't it? Strike is very much the theme of League One uh, on this podcast, but Luton and Portsmouth just hoarding strikers. Yeah. Quite, quite annoying for any well, teams near the bottom. Who... Then, you see, then you see Pompey's uh, equaliser being drawn into, uh, into Bogle, so um, justified. So I mean... they've sort of, it's clearly and quite obviously decided that Pittman and Hawkins, not enough for them. Which when you yeah. see how well they've done in the start of the season, you can be surprised at, but maybe they're just smart. Maybe they're seeing ahead. But I'd be intrigued to know from Pompey fans how that kind of duo worked because the way... When, when Portsmouth was so good this season, it was, it was, and we've spoken about it so many times, it was Lowe and, and um, Curtis playing off uh, Hawkins. So why change a system that had you clear at the top of the table? Um, I know Hawkins had his injury, which, which required a change. Um, Jamal Lowe actually played up top on his own um, or started up top on his own against Oxford, which was a, a poor decision. And Pittman came off the bench and scored. Um, this shuffling of the pack and the changing of systems, it all leads me to be fairly... Um, you know, questioning Kenny Jacket and the decision making. Um, we've seen results turn uh, three uh, three losses and a, and a draw in the last four games, um, and I, I can't really work out why. <laughs> I can't work out. Um, obviously, st- you know, stockpiling good strikers is a, is a very if, if you can afford it, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Um, they, you know, there's, having those four strikers on their books isn't gonna harm Portsmouth's challenge but it's more the the decision to move away from a system that was working so well um, I, I just don't really see the, see the maybe point maybe thought they are being found out maybe thought they are being found out I, I, I did enjoy Barnsley selling a player to Luton and a player to Portsmouth uh, Lloyd Isgrove to Pompey and uh, Monker to Luton who's already scored a winning goal for Luton to give them points um, and, and you have to wonder 
how you know how close they were to saying we'd rather just keep keep them keep them on the wage bill than give them to our, our direct rivals but not the way they've gone uh, Barnsley of course in in really good form and they're into second now um, Luton are six points clear at the top of the table um, having played a game more they've played three games more than Sunderland who are nine points behind them so um, those games in hand for Sunderland still somewhat muddying the waters uh, in League One. <laughs> I think the performance of the weekend in the EFL has got to be Colchester. Um, Colchester went to Northampton. And let's be quite clear, we have to revisit how much of an impact Keith Curl has had or not at Northampton in due course. But um, Colchester absolutely blitzed them, absolutely blew them away. And for a team who have been sliding somewhat over the last two months or so from a fairly solid third place from most of the season to out of the playoffs altogether. Um, this was a, a sign of life in the old dog yet. Yeah, sounded like Sammy Smodix from what we heard in this game was quite sensational. Yeah. Two teams who I think we both expected to be towards the top end of the table based on their early season form. Um, and I thought this was probably quite a good time for Northampton to play Colchester. Um, how wrong could I have been? Absolutely dominated. Um, and it's after a sticky run of form, I think Colchester were, were a team who we as you mentioned, just accepted as being the third best in this league when we also accepted MK Dons and Lincoln were the best too. We've seen um, the league change a lot. I don't know, no, 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 hold on. We were banging on about Forest Green and then Berry and then Mansfield. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure is, we ever felt that strongly about Colchester. To, I'm going back. I think we maybe admitted begrudgingly that actually they were quite good. I mean, either way... It's, we've said so much we've this season. We've said a lot. <laughs> we, do, we do a lot of podcasts. Uh, they... Yeah, it's hard to know where, where to place them this season. I think the playoffs is, it looks looks likely. Well, um, they're still outside at the moment. I know, but a, a couple of teams who are up there um, are kind of struggling to carry. I mean, I, I, Carlisle, I can't wrap my head around at all, so I'm expecting them to drop away at some point. Cause well, I just, unfortunately, we have to talk about Carlisle, even though we have, we're still just absolutely bamboozled by them. Uh, John, who is a Carlisle fan, uh, and Dale have asked similar sorts of questions. So, George, we are going to have to stick our necks out again. Uh-oh. John wants us to name our top three from the top eight. Uh, Dale says, who gets promotion and playoffs? So we're going to do this in two parts. We'll take the top three. John does point out that uh, Ben Mayhew, the excellent experimental 361, uh, has started to really z- hone in on his E ratings, which are quite good predictors uh, using XG numbers. Uh, quite good at uh, trying to project from now on to the end of the season um, how good a chance teams have of top two or top three in in the case of League Two, um, playoffs, mid-table, relegation, etc. So uh, John says, the E-rating now likes Carlisle and our XG stats have recovered from worst in the division to mid-tier. Time to accept we're good, question mark? I'm as surprised as you. So at least we haven't uh, at least we haven't missed something completely <laughs> crazy here. Um, but this Carlisle team do continue to astound, don't they? Um, they, they lost their th- well, three of their, I would say, five key players. If we reckon that Devitt and Granger are really, really key. But I think you have to say that that amazing run of form that they had, also fueled by Loney's Sowerby and Nadison, who both were recalled by Fleetwood, um, and Jerry Yates as well, who was recalled by Rotherham. So at that point, you're very worried, losing three of their, of their five key players. But in the window, they've signed Mark Cullen on loan, 
someone that fired Blackpool to promotion uh, uh, only 18 months ago. Uh, Connor Simpson, highly rated on loan from Preston, striker. Nathan Thomas, who's still only 24, which is crazy. He's been through the absolute ringer in the last few years uh, with Hartlepool and, and then falling out of favour massively at Sheffield United and hated by Notts County fans first half of the season. Uh, and Callum O'Hare, who you really like uh, as a potential game changer on loan from Aston Villa. So this Carlisle side, confusing, but quite fun in a way because they, they slashed the budget in the summer. Um, they got John Sheridan in, who we thought was a bit of a firefighter to, to stave off relegation. And the use of the loan market has been sensational to say the least. But you still can't quite have them, can you, for, for autos? <sighs> for autos? Yeah. Carlisle yeah and I was going to say I can't have them for the playoffs there you go um, take it away I mean it's it's a bit harsh that I'm, I'm not going to sit here saying that, they, that they're out of the running I think that this League 2 in my opinion is, is probably the best we've seen in a while I think that um, we've got four fantastic teams at the top end of the table um, in Forest Green Berry, Mansfield and Lincoln he started with Forest Green I can't believe it working my way up <laughs> uh, and and so therefore, I mean, I, I think that Carlisle getting involved into that race would be really, really impressive. Um, they've lost 11 games this season. They've won 16. They've drawn three, which I think shows you the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Carlisle. And um, it'll be interesting to see how, how Presley gets on there because I'd, I'd be more confident of them maintaining the form if it was Sheridan in charge. However, as you mentioned, they've, they've recruited well. They've signed some good players. Um, but I just, I feel like MK Don's an Exeter um, probably won't be going anywhere given the quality of their squads. MK's form is, is obviously very troubling, but um, for whatever reason, uh, again, I just come back to the to the uh, to the games we've seen this season where they've performed just so poorly. And I know that those are, are something of a distant memory, but I, I still just feel like Carlisle um, are running a bit hot at the moment, and and eventually things are going to regress. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's, it's a good league to be in um, in terms of making the playoffs. Obviously, top seven gets there, currently in fifth. Um, and there is a bit of a drop after Stevenage. Um, so it's, there aren't many teams who can, who can take up their spots and Carlisle are in a, in a prime position to do so. Um, but I think, yeah, automatic promotion, not for me. Don't know about you, listener, but I'm not convinced. I, I'm all on the Carlisle train. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I do agree with what you say, but I'm absolutely loving it. And uh, I think that they could well, with Callum O'Hare at the heart of it, um, fire themselves uh, into the playoffs. And, and who knows from there? I don't think they're, they're ripe for autos, um, same as you. So if I had to push you for, uh, for tiers here... Um, it sounded like there's a, there's a top four for you in the top tier, yeah. Um, which means someone's going to miss out on automatic. And that was Lincoln, Mansfield, Berry, and Forest Green. That is our current top four. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, Forest Green have got a game in hand over Berry, and they are three points behind them. Um, they've been on really good form recently. Forest Green, of course, Berry, the entertainers, and Mansfield, um, just sensational. They've only lost three games in 31 all season, which is ridiculous. Um, and then the, the tier below, is it a two or a three team tier with MK Dons, Exeter and Colchester? Or are Colchester in the, the third tier with Carlisle? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's probably, yeah, a second. It, it's a MK Dons, Exeter, um, you know, lock for right. two, of the ex, two of those playoff positions. And then one out and of. And then Carlisle, Colchester, Stevenage, and, and probably Tramir fight to get out for that last spot. Great result for Grimsby on the weekend. Really good. Uh, and another, they're sort of 
they had that really, really cool, really fun runner form. Cool runner form. It was great. It was that is so, such a cool. It was cool. Run. It was cool. <laughs> uh, and then they lost four in a row, which was less cool. Um, but really impressive home wins against MK Dons in Newport. Some brilliant football being played. I, I know that the, there's real positivity about Grimsby. And if we were to project that question about teams in mid-table who we're starting to think about for next season, starting to look at, and we've seen you know, that they, they should be part of our conversation about foreign recruitment, getting two players in from the Alsvenskan uh, in the winter window. And Oman seems to be starting really nicely. Mm. So positive times there. Grimsby, I, I'm, I'm taking a look at there. Swindon as well. Uh, I think, George, you would begrudgingly say under Richie Wellens could be a goer uh, for next season. Um, so let's just say that Exeter also beating MK Dons was one of the big stories of the weekend because the return of Paul Tisdale, his MK Dons are really struggling and a gleeful Exeter performance, really, really impressive. Um, they've shown at times this season proper quality, um, but not quite enough. And, and we know that they are one or two injuries away, really affected by that. Um, maybe more so than some of the other top teams uh, we saw when Boateng was out long term that they did struggle so uh, down at the bottom lastly uh, George in League 2 it's Andrew of course it is <clears throat> always wanting to know about the League 2 relegation battle and he says what's the cutoff in League 2 for relegation battlers I'll set the scene Notts County 24th 22 points Macclesfield still 23rd 27 points Morecambe 2 points ahead on 29 having played one game less Yeovil, one point above Morecambe, having played a game less than them and two less than Macclesfield. And you've got Cambridge and Cheltenham on 32, Port Vale 33, Northampton 44. I could go on, but I want you to tell me where's the cutoff point? Who's still in some trouble? Northampton? I think, I think Northampton. I mean, possibly Crawley if they really... I think results have results and performances have improved four points on the road in the last two games. So yeah, I, I'm going to say Cobblers... Um, are just about the last team to be in trouble. Um, I know their fans are, are getting concerned about about relegation as well. So, um, but it, it all it all depends on how many points Macclesfield pick up. Obviously, um, yeah, Macclesfield are a funny one, aren't they? Because uh, data wise, not looking that good, but not necessarily marrying up with the eye test. They're scoring a lot of goals. Um, they've, I think, there's positivity surrounding Sol Campbell's tenure in charge of Macclesfield. At the same time, uh, that's not to say that they are out of it and you'd still have them as, as favourites for Def, relegation. Yeah, definitely not out of it. Um, I mean, Notts County, you'd think are closer to being out of it. They are five points by Macclesfield with a game in hand. Um, but that game in hand, again, you can't, it's pretty hard to put a, uh, a tribute, a point value to that. 0.7. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you, you've got to look up, as, as I say, whatever Macclesfield do, if, if Macclesfield can go on a run, then suddenly that brings all of those teams into it. Um, but, I mean, obviously Yeovil and Morecambe are the two who are under the most threat at the moment. Um, Big game on Tuesday night, Cheltenham hosting Yeovil. Huge, huge game. Yeovil really struggling for goals at the moment. Just uh, went on a, a sort of half-decent run, but another defeat, that one, away at Stevenage. And you do wonder where the goals are coming from at the moment. They did sign a few attacking players in the latter stages of the windows, um, but uh, in a difficult spot. And Morecambe, we've spoken about a few times, uh, certainly not much to be positive about there. So it's another iteration of League Two, isn't it, where you go only two relegation spots is, uh, is great news for probably two teams who are not necessarily deserving of, of, of staying up. Um, sad to end on, um, on, a, on a negative note. Uh, 
Um, but George, um, it's been lovely chatting to you about the EFL. I do like these Q&A podcasts. Um, we've had some very thoughtful questions, um, as you laughed at me for saying that earlier. But I think the proof uh, of the pudding is in the tasting, and um, we've tasted some good questions today. Um, uh, I've been Ali Maxwell, and George, alongside me, will be back later on in the week with the betting show and we hope you'll join us for that one if you've got to the end here and if you've enjoyed this we'd be really grateful if you could retweet share this on a forum maybe if there's anyone you think doesn't know about entity 20 pod and who'd be ripe for it um then help us out because we we do need a bit of help every now and again and we're very grateful for it uh until thursday that is it from us (laughs) 